Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. This is the fourth episode in our series on health equity in pediatrics, supported with funding from the North Carolina chapter of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, Dr. Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant. I'm your host, Dr. Becky Carson, pediatric nurse practitioner and assistant professor at the Catholic University of America. This series is geared toward providing pediatric providers with the tools they'll need to be allies in practice for the diverse children we serve. Because you may not necessarily represent the groups your patients identify with, it's important for them to feel safe and get non-biased care. It can feel really overwhelming to try to tackle health equity because it's such a big, pervasive problem in our society. But the simple best practices we talk about every week in this series can be implemented right now without waiting for policy changes, social programs, and cultural revelations to catch up. And because we need to know whether what we're doing is actually working, I'm asking listeners to complete a survey for every episode they listen to in order to better understand the impact of listening to a short podcast on health equity. Please, please fill out the survey. I promise it'll only take a minute. The link is in the show notes or at thepedsnp.com. I'll remind you again and give details on how you can win a gift card at the end of the podcast. But first, let's review our first four best practices. We started the first two episodes of the series by identifying our own implicit bias and learning to view each encounter through a lens of health equity as you partner with patients and caregivers in an equitable care plan. Episode three taught us to use curiosity to confront microaggressions. And today's best practice is say your patient's names correctly. We've all heard William Shakespeare ponder, what's in a name? The answer to that question has lots of wonderful answers. Culture, religion, family history, racial or ethnic ancestry. Think for a moment about your own name and the story behind it. It is no doubt a story you love to retell. I adore telling the meaning behind the names of my children, both of whom are named for incredibly important people in my life. Our names are deeply tied to our identity, who you are as a person. It's one of the first language skills an infant develops, answering to their own name. So you can imagine how disappointing it might be to not be called by your correct name. Now, I'm not talking about nicknames. Apparently, I nicknamed myself at age four when I came home from preschool and said, call me Becky, and I never looked back. I'm talking about mispronunciation, shortening, or westernization of a name in order to fit the verbal needs of another person. I was catching up with one of my best friends who was born and raised in West Virginia with parents who were from India. I remember the day I met her over 10 years ago and how she taught me to say her name with a common English rhyme. I asked her what it was like growing up with a name that was tied to her Indian identity, but difficult for others to pronounce. She told me that she always found workarounds, like the rhyme, and she was really understanding of mispronunciations because she works in a diverse setting with a lot of uncommon names that she has difficulty pronouncing too. And although she didn't have major problems with her name, She shared stories of some friends who felt the deep impact of mispronunciations. One of her friends has a name that rhymes with a vulgar English word, and she was teased as a child. Even today, mispronouncing her name can get her fired up and derail a conversation. 
She told me about another friend who, as an adult, felt like she was getting treated differently because of the complexity of pronouncing her name. So she legally changed her middle name to Elizabeth and started going by it in college. But now she's grappling with the repercussions of that decision because she's lost a piece of herself. You see, in some Indian naming conventions, the father's first name is often placed as the middle or last name of the child. So now she's lost that piece of her family amidst the pressure she felt to fit into a society that didn't appreciate her culture, heritage, and person. Have you ever been called the wrong name? What did that feel like? Was it offensive? Annoying? Judgmental? Did you correct the offender? Did they do it again? So what do our patients and their families feel like when we can't be gracious enough to correctly pronounce their names? It says to them that their identities don't matter to us. It says that we don't appreciate their family history and culture. And when a gender diverse person picks a different name congruent with their identity, but we still use the name that's listed on the chart, it says that their journey is not valid. Mispronunciation becomes a microaggression and undermines who a person is, the groups they identify with, and where they come from. And as much as there is history in the names we give our children, unfortunately, there's also a history in mispronunciation and renaming as well. Enslaved people were stolen from their homes and renamed to have European-sounding names and forced to take the last name of their slave owner. So many African Americans renamed themselves after emancipation as a way to regain their identities. African Americans, Native Indigenous Americans, immigrants, and other people of color may experience other forms of racism with renaming, westernizing, or shortening names to fit an Anglo-normative naming pattern. It's no coincidence that people from these historically marginalized communities are also more likely to experience health disparities. Part of the journey to health equity that we have to take with our patients is helping them keep their identity in their names. So how can you do this? There are several best practices for both patient encounters and in other professional settings. As you introduce yourself, ask the child who they brought with them today. Find out how children and their caregivers like to be addressed. And when in doubt, err on the side of formality. We have a tendency to refer to the people in the room as mom or dad, but in a world with so many ways to create a modern family, let's stop making assumptions and instead leave the question open-ended. What may I call you? When you struggle with pronunciation, ask the patient to say it first and then invite them to correct you. Did I say it correctly? Say it again two or three times if you need to. Then document the name they go by and the pronunciation in the EMR. You can put sticky notes with a phonetic pronunciation or their nickname on the demographics page or in the social history. I like to start my notes with their name too as a reminder and to personalize the visit. For your colleagues, pay attention to how they introduce themselves. And again, err on the side of formality and politeness, including members of the team who do not have doctorates. Finding out what courtesy title your teammates use is a best practice, just like asking a person's pronouns. I won't get into the issue of doctorally prepared nurses in the clinical setting in this episode, but in an academic setting, the formal title should be given to your colleagues until they tell you to address them in a different way, like by their first name. 
I want to finish with a story about a patient I cared for when I was a nurse. Obviously, I've changed the name for HIPAA reasons, but I made up a name with a similar wordplay so that you can recognize the phonetic congruence. So one morning, I was working in the pediatric cardiac ICU, and I admitted a newborn African-American male with a congenital heart defect straight from labor and delivery. Because the mother was still recovering in the delivery room, he came unaccompanied, just with the paperwork. His ankle bracelet had mom's name on it, but he also had a document saying what his name would be. There was just one problem with the name. There were no vowels in it. Instead, an apostrophe split the middle of the name. When the mom arrived at the bedside later, I asked how she pronounced his name. She was instantly, visibly irritated. She rolled her eyes, sucked her teeth, and said, exactly how it's spelt. And I looked at her blankly and said, well, I just want to pronounce it the way you do. Can I hear how you say it? And she repeated through gritted teeth, exactly how it's spelt. K-V-N. K-V-N. I couldn't blame her for being annoyed. There I was with the most classic white girl name, Becky, undermining the pronunciation of her black baby boy's name in a city with a lot of racial disparities. Could she trust me? I felt the tension, so I just let her spend time with her newborn. But using the health equity lens, I understood that she named her child in the style of the community that was going to help her raise him. And I deeply respected both the history and experience of the mom. So when she came back from lunch, he was bathed, wearing a cute little hat, and in a precious swaddle with the monitor cords and lines sticking out the bottom. I had also made a cute sign with his name in foam letters for the foot of the bed. She came to the bedside, and I told her, Kavian had a nice little nap and now is starting to wake up. Would you like to hold him? She instantly warmed. From there, we had a wonderful relationship in the many days before and after his cardiac surgery. There's a lot packed into a story like that. Lots that I did and didn't do. When you have a patient whose name stumps you, lead with humility, open to correction. Apologize for your missteps when you mispronounce or mislabel a child or their caregiver. Combine these with best practice number one and use a lens of health equity in every patient encounter. And be a champion of the child and family's identity. Now let's talk about that post-episode survey. Simply go to thepedsnp.com, the link is in the show notes, and click the button that says Take the Health Equity Survey on the homepage. The link will take you to a one-minute survey. That's it, just one minute, all about the episode you just listened to. Once you submit the anonymous voluntary survey, you can get a link to the page where you enter your email to win a $15 Amazon gift card. I won't share your email, and it's not for marketing purposes. It's just to pick the winner for the raffle. Whether you enter the raffle or not, thank you for completing a survey and sharing your feedback. Your participation is so important to help us understand how podcasts impact our practice. So please take a moment to complete the survey, then share with a friend, your colleagues, and your classmates. I'd like to thank the diversity, equity, and inclusion experts who generously volunteered their time to serve as consultants and editors for the content in this episode, which was generously supported with funding from North Carolina NAPNAP's Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant. 
Follow me on Instagram at the PZNP podcast. Email me at the PZNP at gmail.com. You can complete the survey, see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. A rose by any other name wouldn't smell as sweet. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.